She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch, an X-Files adjacent podcast. Communion. Communion's release date was November 10th, 1989. And its runtime is 109 minutes. A surprisingly quick 109 minutes, I would add. Yeah, it goes by pretty quick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, spoiler, this movie is super weird, but it does go by pretty fast. Yeah. So Communion was written by Whitley Strieber, and it is based on his 1987 book, Communion. Same name. It also includes content from his 1988 book, Transformation. I'm guessing probably the end, because it's a little meta towards the end. So it's probably from that one. Strieber is the author of Wolfen from 1978, which was actually his debut novel and was the basis for the 1981 film Wolfen. They dropped the the for the movie. He also wrote The Hunger in 1981, which was his second novel and was the basis for the 1983 movie of the same name starring Catherine Deneuvier, David Bowie and Susan Sarandon and would make an excellent viewing for anyone doing a podcast (laughs) about vampires, I think. Well, I'm going to take a note right here. (laughs) taking a note he also wrote a bunch of other mostly unmemorable books although one majestic from 1989 is a novel about the alleged ufo crash at roswell and was read when released by at least one of this podcast's hosts you can decide who yeah i don't think i ever read it (laughs) oh you just spoiled it okay fine also i was like seven when that came out so yeah so there you go so there's a lot more that we could say about whitley streber but we're not going to say it here because you guys have the internet. And (laughs) if nothing else, please search responsibly. Although I'm going to give you a little taste, just a little taste. And honestly, Whitley Strieber is so multifaceted on the, there's a lot. So again, search responsibly, but I do have a little quote from him that is kind of X-Files adjacent. So this is in his own words, and there will be a link in the show notes. And it is from a discussion board about the cabin that all the events in the movie kind of take place in. And this is almost kind of like an aside as they're talking about the cabin and stuff. He says, quote, I cannot be sure, but I have reason to believe that my dad did intelligence work in some way. When military people become involved, the visitors often follow their family lines and end up with their children as happened to me. End quote. I don't know if you know anybody. X-Files fans who maybe fit that description as well, but possibly. Hmm. So the film was directed by Felipe Mora, whose other directorial credits include Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf from 1985, Howling 3 in 1987, and then Pterodactyl Woman from Beverly Hills in (laughs) 1997. He has some other ones too, but those are the ones that kind of stood out to me. Oh my god, so. that sounds amazing. Pterodactyl <laughs> woman from Beverly Hills. I, yeah, I except it's made in 1997. So it's, I know. Mm, that's the only thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> this movie stars Christopher Walken as Whitley Strieber. And Lindsay Krauss as Anne Strieber. And she was also in The Arrival in 1996. And another alien movie. Yeah, not to be confused with Arrival, which is another alien movie starring Oh, Amy it's Adams. right. And Jeremy Renner, which I actually really like Arrival. I think it's really good. This is the Charlie Sheen one. Mm -hmm. 
And then she was also Professor Maggie Walsh in the fourth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So she plays one of Buffy's college professors who's also working for the military agency that hunts vampires and monsters and demons and stuff. Mm. So it opens and it's 1985 and we meet Whitley Strieber, who lives with his wife, Anne, and his son, Andy, in Manhattan. And he seems to be a successful writer because he is home writing all day and can afford to live in Manhattan. So... We know he's he's making some money. He's doing something right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got two very popular books and two movies under his belt at this yep. point. And then I think also three or four other books at this point also. Yeah. So, so he's doing OK. There's like this myth that authors are rich, but this guy seems to be doing all right. So he's in more real like... life. He worked in advertising before he quit to uh... do authoring. So. Yeah. And his wife works, too, as well. So he's not the only one. Correct. Yeah. 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 However, we learn that he occasionally suffers paranoid dreams that someone else is in their home. So that's a little bit of disturbing information. Yeah. He also uses his wife as a pillow when they sleep. Apparently, I, They sleep so weird. Like, okay, to be fair, I sleep alone weird. with cats. So I am also sometimes in weird positions, like around the cat. No, he like, like sleeps sideways in the bed using his wife, like as a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> and like his leg is like bent up. It's very odd positioning, but yeah. I mean, whatever works for you to get sleep. I know sleep can be a challenge. I'm just saying it's just very odd. Every time we see them in bed, it's like he's like flopped over in this weird way. And you're like, yeah, what are you doing? one way or another, he is like on top of her in the bed. And they're just <laughs> both asleep. Yeah. So in early October, they go on a trip to the family cabin in the woods and they bring along their friends, Alex and Sarah. And on the first night when they're sleeping, the intruder alarm is triggered. And Whitley sees this alienoid face watching him from the doorway. And then bright light fills the windows and it wakes Andy, his son, but it also wakes Alex and Sarah who are like, what's going on? Like, this is really weird. And Anne remains asleep for some reason, even though like there's this super bright light and some weirdness going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also see these weird jump cuts of an extremely slender non-human hand that's pressing a brightly lit laser scalpel or something into Whitley's head. And Andy's bed is being drawn towards a window that has been open. So that's a little creepy Ooh. too. Yeah. Yeah. So the next morning they're discussing what happened over pancakes because, you know, they're in a cabin in the woods. And of course you're going to make pancakes and sit around, have a nice breakfast. And so Alex and Sarah explained that it was like super bright outside, unnaturally bright. They couldn't even sleep. Like th- their lights were too bright. And like, Anne when they start talking, it's like, oh, yeah, Whitley's got his security lights. He's so ridiculous. But then, like, they keep talking about, like, no, it was brighter than that. And Whitley's like, well, it's probably the moon or maybe a dream. And he he gets really dismissive about it, too. He's like, no, no, must well, was it the moon or was it a dream? Like, it can't be anything else. And just totally dismisses their concerns. But Alex is freaked out and Sarah's freaked out. And so Alex is like, I want to go home. And because they drove up together, they all took Whitley's car. Whitley drove them all. They all have to leave. So he's like, okay, I guess we'll get this place cleaned up because he just made pancakes. So the kitchen's a mess. Yeah. For someone who lives in Manhattan, and I get that they have like this upstate New York cabin, he has like a giant, like it's a GMC, but if it was a Ford, it would not be like a Ford F-150. It would be like a Ford, like, f-350 or something it is gigantic yeah i mean he's got like like, all these floodlights all over uh everything so yeah got like floodlights (laughs) mounted on the top and like it's a very but i mean i guess like if you're going out into the woods regularly which it seems like they do yeah it's just like i'm where are you keeping that in manhattan like i guess 
Maybe their building has a really nice parking garage. Yeah, more perks to being an author. You can afford a parking space for that thing. So So Whitley drives them all home and Sarah's like, thanks for taking us home. Like she's apologetic and he's still like, sure, but I don't understand why. Like nothing happened. So he still keeps denying that anything weird occurred. Yeah. It is interesting that like, despite arguably having a more terrifying experience, he's so in denial. Although we we do kind of learn like that's kind of his character journey through this is his denial. But it is a little weird because like, he had an even scarier experience, but he's like, oh, it was the moon. It was the moon. Yeah. There were two very disturbing scenes. And one of them was just watching Christopher Walken pretend that he was cooking breakfast. Because at one point he reaches into the skillet pan and just <laughs> pulls out pancakes with his bare hand and flops them onto a platter. I'm like, man, Whitley Streamer doesn't need no spatula to make no pancakes. He just <laughs> makes them with his hand. Uh, obviously they were already cooked and just hanging out there. As, right. Like, and the pan it wasn't was crazy hot. I'm sure. He's just like right. talking. He's just like reaching in and pulling out pancakes. You're like, what are you doing? Anyway. And then the other disturbing scene was their son, Andy, basically cramming an entire pancake into his mouth at once <laughs> was also not something. Um, also, Andy, I'm sorry. I, the, I couldn't really, I didn't really do much looking. He doesn't have like any real links or anything like that. A kid could not act. I mean, he's a kid. Fine. But oh, well, the lines they gave him were just, weird and felt unnatural like a lot of times he would well he would say things when we first meet them and they're walking down the street he's all like doing this weird strut thing like he's just a kid and like i'm on camera and being like a super weirdo too so yeah i don't know what's going on there anyway yep so then we jump a little forward in time and it's halloween it's a little later in the month and there's this halloween party in their building and during this party Whitley's with his son. They're walking down a hall and this teenager wearing a bug mask jumps out and scares him. And he, he reacts like, I mean, obviously he was startled, but like, he is just like freaked out and he yells at the teen and everyone's like, okay, you're, you're acting kind of whatever. It's just a Halloween mask. Parents come out and yell at him. Like you're yelling at a 13 year old girl. And yeah. And his wife is really concerned by his behavior because that was just kind of over the line for her. Yeah, I did like Anne's Halloween makeup in like when they're getting ready to go to the party because he is sitting there with like a wolf mask like propped up on his head and then apparently in his shirt and no pants. We find yeah, out and you know what he looks like? He's wearing like a fox mask and a green shirt and he looks like the fox from Zootopia. Like he looks like oh. that's his costume, but oh, obviously Zootopia. Fo- I, I assumed it was a wolf because there's a lot of wolf references early in the movie, which yeah. I'm not sure if that's because of Wolfen. Or whatever, but because there's a painting, and then yeah. when they're at the cabin, they joke about what Alex is maybe doing with Sarah in the bedroom, and they're talking about like, oh, he's probably telling his wolf story, and then we find out that Alex is telling his wolf story about yeah. wolves and the ghosts of wolves. But yeah, I thought it was I a mean, wolf, but it could have been a fox. It definitely it looked like a fox. a fox. Me, it literally looked like he was supposed to be the guy from Zootopia, except that that movie didn't come out until I mean that movie's really recent, so it would not have been a reference oh, to that okay, in '89. Gotcha. Okay. But that that's exactly what the outfit looks like. Like he's dressing up like that guy. Uh, okay, yeah, I just yeah. I just automatically assume because it's brown or yeah. reddish brown. But I just assumed it was a wolf because all the other yeah. Wolves I think I just movie. thought fox because I it literally looked like the Zootopia guy, and I'm like, oh, that's weird because I know that yeah. movie hadn't come out we yet. We, so. we kind of see it a lot in profile because it's, it's one of those plastic string masks. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just propped up on his head. Yeah. But when she comes in, she's wearing a like a weird like witch vampire mashup kind of costume. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she's got this like red shadow going on with her eyes, and I really liked it. I yeah. wasn't a fan of like the gold glitter on her lashes and her eyebrows, but I really liked the the red on the eyes, especially with the vampire teeth. But then she immediately like removes because you can't act with 
giant plastic vampire teeth in your mouth. So <laughs> you, you don't see those again ever. So, but no, I really like I really like the uh, the red eye makeup. Yeah. So we basically know that like Whitley's work and his marital life are becoming affected by these recurring nightmares. He's not really able to write. He's just struggling with everything and he snaps it and repeatedly he says he has writer's block and he's basically just like sitting around staring and unable to focus yeah or like huddled on the floor when she's yeah. talking to him or whatever yeah not great although his setup is very strange he's always filming himself like, i know constantly. which is so weird and yeah lots of very artsy fartsy stuff going on like new york author i'm kooky and yeah i'm not sure if that's like really based on the author's process because he does he has like a camera hooked up to his like old computer and then he has like the second little monitor where he's like filming himself and his face is there i don't know if that's based on the real author's process or like when he's with his kid like they're walking down the hallway and like he has a camera and then the kid is holding the camera and then, like, we're coming up on Christmas here in a minute. And, like, the kid gets a Polaroid for Christmas. And then later the camera plays a role, too. So he's very into, like, just cameras. Whether, yeah. whether like, for, like, you know, keeping track of stuff or just as, like, an art thing. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just, like, a movie idea of how an author would work or if that's actually based on how he actually works. But, yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we jump ahead a little bit more because we're at Halloween, right? And we kind of get the little like marital strife kind of can't write that kind of thing going on. And then they are going to go to the cabin for Christmas. And we actually get like a Andy's in a little Christmas play. We get a little scene of that and they go off for Christmas. So Christmas actually seems to work out really well. It seems to be a very nice holiday. But then the lights return. Mm-hmm. And this is the day after Christmas. So on the 26th, Boxing Day. And that night, some short, dark gnome or troll-like looking beings with like robes and stuff come in and they carry Whitley out of the bedroom and Anne screams, although she's, everything's silent. Like mm-hmm. we see her like realizing what's going on and just like weird, again, weird cutting stuff of like just flash, flash, flash. And then they perform some tests on him with like the laser scalpel pokey thing again. And this great alienoid being is observing, like, and kind of dancing in the background. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of like random alien dancing that I do not understand. Yeah, they no, they movie. love dancing. They dance a lot in this one. Yeah, and I think in this scene we only see one. Later we will see there is more than one of the tall, skinny aliens. But I think at this point we like see there's one, mm-hmm. and then there's four of the little dark creatures. And then it's morning. Like the scene just ends, and it's morning. Anne is making breakfast and he's getting some stuff out of the refrigerator. And he's like, was there an owl in the cabin last night? I saw an owl. Maybe it came up through the window. He swears he saw an owl. And she's like, uh, no, there's no owl. Like all the windows are shut. So no. owls kind of look like aliens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole owl theory and there's books about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Books about how owls yep. precede UFO sightings and stuff. Yeah. Yep. They actually are involved in why we call little green men little green men even though they were actually described as gray in the original story and we talked about that in one of our x-files episodes Mm -hmm. the kelly hopkins incident so anyway so the three of them are out hiking Anne and andy and whitley and then suddenly he gets like a splitting head and has to sit down on the ground and and notices he has like a mark or a bug bite on the back of his neck kind of like behind his ear and then later that night he is wired and is super like there, you know, that he's sure that someone's in the house and everything like that. And he and Anne fight about it. 
And then he ends up pulling out a shotgun and he goes and patrols the cabin. So he's walking through all the rooms. Mm-hmm. He's checking the closets. He goes in the basement. He comes out like the outside basement door and walking around outside. Goes back inside to the kitchen and he sees one of the small dark beans behind like a vase and shoots twice. And then Anne comes running downstairs. He almost shoots her. He spins. And then she's like, ah, like cowers. And then he like lifts the shotgun up and pulls the trigger. It's like he couldn't like stop pulling the trigger apparently, but he like threw the shotgun up and shot in the air. And so that's not good. No. And then then, like Annie comes out and is like, dad, what are you shooting at? And so then they're all crying. (laughs) And she's like, you got to go see a doctor Mm because you're going to kill us basically. Also, he like leaves the basement door wide open. And for someone who's so security conscious (laughs) and worried about people coming into your home, it just seemed really odd that he just like leaves it yawning open and then like it's those kind of like almost like slanted horizontally. You see like cellar doors, it's those Mm -hmm. things comes out of those like double doors. Yeah. But yeah, he leaves them wide open. You're right. Yeah. So then Whitley's with their doctor, who they call Sam. They're on very first name basis with everybody they know. Like their doctor is Sam. Later they're gonna meet someone who they meet soon and then they're on like on first name basis with her too anyway so sam is their doctor and he's telling sam about his experiences and sam refers him to a psychiatrist specializing in hypnotic regression therapy and in rape cases Mm -hmm. and whitley does not want to go at all Mm -hmm. so he goes home and he tells and she's like how does it go and he's like oh sam gives us love and like kind of avoids the situation but then he finally tells and about the short blue skin beans and the tall thin insect like one and how they took him that night after christmas and sam actually thinks he was like gang raped by intruders that's why mm-hmm. he's having him go see this lady and specialize in rape cases whitley actually just thinks he's hallucinating and that maybe he is having like a psychotic break like he doesn't think any of it's real sam thinks it's real and then it was actual like people or maybe like kids who did it because they're short yeah and it's weird because like we don't really see what like whitley kind of we see him talking to sam but we don't really hear the whole story that he gives sam yeah and then all of a sudden he's just being referred to a rape specialist you're like whoa yeah sam is super he's always like well did they rob you like when they came in how many of them like he sam is super like yep it was a bunch of people and they raped well and he is exhibiting these signs of like trauma and like obviously like yeah so that makes sense but it is a little weird yeah Anne, however, thinks he's just doing what he always does, messing with her and trying to work out his stories by pretending they're real. Oh, so he's yeah. one of those like method yeah. writer type people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also, and we kind of see this a little bit too in the interaction, like he's jumping out and scaring her with the camera sometimes when she comes home from work. And mm-hmm. so he's always kind of like being maybe slightly dickish anyway. And then she asks if he's taking drugs or if he's cheating on her. Because whatever he's doing, she knows that he is lying to her face. She does not believe a word he is saying. So then later we see Anne and she's getting Andy ready to go to sleep, talking to him, laying in bed like you need to go to sleep. And they start talking about like whether God exists or something. And then he tells her about the blue doctors and the one with the big black eyes and how they were at the cabin at Christmas time and that he prayed to God to make them leave and they wouldn't. So he doesn't believe that maybe God exists. And then he asks if he's dreaming dad's dreams. Ooh. And she's like, mm. yeah. So. so learning her son is having the same visions or whatever freaks her out, obviously. 
And Willie finally agrees to go to the psychiatrist that Sam suggested, partly because if Andy's having these dreams too, or seeing these things, maybe something did happen, right? So he and Anne go together. And after talking to them, the therapist suggests hypnotic regression therapy. I'm shocked. Later at home, Whitley like refuses. He doesn't want to go back to her. And so he and Anne fight. And she basically tells him that like he either does the therapy or their marriage is over because she's not going to live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. So Whitley agrees to the hypnotherapy and he seems pretty easy to hypnotize. It turns out when she puts him under the first time. So, yeah, because she's like, we're going to count to 10 and by 10. And he was like out at five. And I <laughs> honestly, I mean, we've talked about I don't know if this was intentional or not, because we've talked about the whole like ease the hypnosis and how that is kind of common in people who have experiences and because they are highly suggestible and you know have like fanciful natures and what have you so he also is a fiction writer so i don't know if i don't know if that was intentional that he went under super fast or not but he does and then also he went under so fast and almost kind of comedically because like he's like watching her finger and then he like his head slumps and then he pulls up his hand and like puts it on his chin and just like sitting there like, and then kind of like fake snores. And I'm like, he's messing with her hard. There's going to be a scene about him not taking it serious, but no, that was him going under hypnosis. So I totally thought he was messing with her. Nope. nope, nope. That was him in hypnosis. So yeah. And (laughs) I know it was very weird. And then while he's under, he describes being abducted by unknown beings and that they like performed experiments on him. So he wakes up, he comes out of the hypnosis, and he's just at that point done. No more. He doesn't want to do this. He's out. So he actually leaves and he goes outside and he gets on a bus and he's on the bus. And then he looks up and the person across from him has a big insect head. And then he looks around and everyone on the bus has big insect heads, kind of like that girl in the Halloween mask. And so he like gets off the bus and he's yelling like, you know, kind of like a a little bit of a crazy person on the bus <laughs> and everyone's just like, what is with this dude? Yeah. So eventually Alex finds him in a diner because they're all looking for him. Cause they don't know where he went. Like, Anne doesn't know where he le- went. He just like left and vanished. Yeah. Although she kind of, he does say that she kind of figured he would be there. I guess that's maybe where he goes a lot. Mm-hmm. So, but so yeah. she like sent him to go get him probably. Yeah. So Whitley asks and Alex tells him that Anne told him what happened. And then Alex tells him about a Russian legend of creatures who live in the woods and resemble the ones that Whitley describes and how they'll sometimes like visit, you know, people's homes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So he takes Whitley home and the therapist is there and she suggests that he try group therapy. She has a dozen patients who've had the same experiences. And Whitley's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I am done with this. I do not want to do this anymore. So she's like, well, we can send you to a doctor who can test you to see if you have a form of epilepsy that could cause similar hallucinations. So that's like his options, group therapy or see if you have this rare form of epilepsy. Yeah. And later Whitley is reading to Andy and Andy, like, I don't know. I'm assuming Anne told him that Andy was having similar. Yeah. I don't know that he knows when they go. I think she might've just talked him into it because of what she did. I don't know that she actually told him. Okay, so maybe she didn't. But Andy starts talking about the blue doctors and then the tall, pale, thin ones and how they keep coming to see him. And so that freaks Willie out. He's like, oh, 
that's weird. So he goes into the lab and he takes the test to see if he has epilepsy and it's negative. So does not seem to have that. But he does have a vision of himself as a child, like looking up and seeing something. Yeah. So because he apparently is under for like 45 minutes while they're doing the test or something. So. Mm-hmm. And then Anne goes to the hypnotherapist by herself and she has her own hypnotic regression session. Yeah. So slightly mentioned earlier, like this movie is not like suffering from an abundance of excellent acting, but <laughs> her hypnotic scene is not good. Oh my no. God, it is not good. Um, especially not. after having watched the UFO incident and we comment on how like, especially James Earl Jones, he really, really does an excellent job when he's under hypnosis of, of portraying that. This is not, this is, um, yeah, this is not. Not that, yeah. Not that. Yeah. So she she actually also wakes up in the middle of the session, like Whitley did. So we don't, but she, if we do realize that even though like she was asleep that first night and everything, that she knows something is going on and was basically told that she's not supposed to know it. So we're uh-huh. trying to get that action going on. Yeah, so. she's not supposed to have seen it. And she needs, like, they also told her to just lie there and not do anything kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, kept her from moving. Yeah. Which was, I'm sure, very scary. So later, Anne and Whitley talk while Andy sleeps. And as they talk, they realize their son is having the similar visions because now they've both heard him talk about these people mm-hmm. or these creatures. And so he may have seen them as well. And so Whitley goes back for another session and then things get weird. If you thought they weren't weird yet, they're going to get weird. I mean, it's just, it's very weird. Mm -hmm. There is a giant phallic hose thing that he gets at one point. Yeah. Well, like he goes like, they're like having, it's like a party. Like they're dancing. Yeah, they're, and they're dancing. Yeah, there's lots of dance. Like all the thin ones are all dancing in the background. This is when we get that there's more of them. They're dancing. There's little kids there also. And after he gets his after rectal gets exam, <laughs> he's kind of basically like just hanging out on the floor with the kids playing. And there's and like some they're of the kids little, are crying. They're like two, they're like toddler kids. Like they're little yeah, toddlers. And one of the head of one of the blue creatures is actually on a shelf like it's a mask but then it's like moving around the eyes and stuff like it's an animatronic mask or something so but but it's made to like it's just supposed to be its head and there's also like these rubbery latex like alien masks just laying around everywhere too and it's just super weird it is it's incredibly odd it is yeah. an extremely weird lots of weird cuts lots of smoke and or steam or something yeah just very yeah. strange it is it's the weirdest alien abduction scene i think i've ever seen yeah and i also think that christopher walken was actually naked in that scene because we actually oh, he see was some pubic yeah. hair in the front yeah yeah no, um, he was we don't naked. get to see junk but there is some yeah anyway uh so after all this happens he decides that, like okay i'm gonna go to that group therapy thing so he goes to the group therapy thing and the abductees at first or both he and Anne go together. So he and Anne are always going together. This last one, I think she was there, but she wasn't. No, she was in the room with him. Yeah. The first the first time he does it, she's there. But then the doctor, Janet, asks her to leave the room. 
And then when he gets all super weird and wakes up in the middle, she runs in and he's like, I'm out of here. And he leaves both of them behind. That's why he gets in the bus. Second time, she's sitting there holding his hand the whole time. And then they go to the group therapy together as well. And at first, they're kind of like when they find out he's a writer, they're kind of like, oh, you're going to write a story about us, and make fun of us. And just like and they're very like antagonistic. And then and then they start arguing with each other, too, about different stuff, because like some people think it's a cool thing and some people definitely do not think it's a cool thing. Anyway, so they end up giving similar experiences and describe similar beings, the two <laughs> types, the short leathery blue ones and the tall willowy ones with big black eyes. And this kind of like Anna's like, oh, and she gets like, oh, maybe we need to go. Yeah, she's like, I want to leave. She doesn't want to yeah. be there now. Yeah, so they get up to leave and Whitley is kind of like, you know, even though he basically has had all his visions confirmed by these people, he still is kind of like, no, nah, I don't know. This is real. Don't know. This is real. Despite all the like, he's a writer stuff that they do in the beginning. When he they decide they're leaving is get up in the middle and like leave. And he hasn't explained anything that's happened to him yet uh-huh. at all. Right. They're just like, OK, we'll come back. See you next time. They're like all super like no problems. Like, but you just were worried that he was a writer and was just here to make fun of you. And then he doesn't say anything. Here's your stories. Then gets him like, okay, I'm done. Bye. That seems really weird. But anyway, so. Yeah, it's the whole thing is weird. And the I know that he's in denial, but at the same time, like they're talking about this stuff and like how it affects their kids or their grandkids Mm -hmm. and just like all these things. And like, I feel like it's weird for them not to ask more questions or for him not to be like, well, what did they do to you? You know, or like, and the women talk about losing babies and stuff. So I think he doesn't even Mm -hmm. ask like, basic questions about what happened or like it just seems weird that they're so quick to leave they're like okay well you're having the exact same experiences and describing all the things i've seen bye yeah Yeah. also they're very concerned and then immediately just start like it's like stories out oh and yeah exactly so yeah it's strange (laughs) anyway whitley realizes that he has to confront his visions real or not and so he goes alone to the cabin where the incidents have occurred. And what's funny is he like he's wearing a suit like he dresses really nice for this encounter. Mm-hmm. Like and his wife is even like, where are you going? And like, yeah, I mean, no wonder yeah, she's that's very weird. He's, he's like, all, yeah, he's all super decked out. And is all like, ta-ta, da-da, da, like singing, putting on the Ritz and everything. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm heading out. And then she's like, where? And he's like, I'm going to get a pack of cigarettes. And then he leaves. And then we get this weird scene when she was like, you don't even smoke. It's like, it's so strange. It's so well, weird. it's funny because going out for a pack of cigarettes is like a euphemism for leaving the, and never coming back. right? Yeah, and, he, like, and he's got a suitcase with him. So, yeah. yeah and it's, it's very, very odd. The whole thing is very weird. Yeah. But anyway, he arrives at night. And before he gets there, we see like the cabin lights come on, like the, the floodlights. That you, every time they drive up, like it has like motion sensors, right? So the floodlights mm-hmm. come on. And then they have to turn off the, the intruder alarm thing to get in kind of things that like automatically arms the system or something. And so before he arrives, though, we see like the floodlights come on and like the intruder alarm is all like just the lights are all flashing like it has every other time they show up. And so it's like they're there. They're waiting for him. He shows up and there's this bright light like in the woods beside the house. And so he goes out there and there's just giant ball light out in the woods. And so he walks. He grabs his video camera out of his case so apparently mm-hmm. his video camera was in that case that he had grabs his video camera he walks into the ball of light and he interacts with all the beings and we get another weird ass scene so. so weird it's so weird like because it's not just aliens like he starts talking to the aliens and then like 
one of them like the like the tall thin ones like i can't remember if he pulls off the face or the alien does but then there's like something beneath it that's kind of like a mini elephant trunk and it's like a weird what i also think it's like that like the like the bug mouths too that he's been seeing kind of thing yeah because so and then again, but, but it does have that elephant trunk look because in the Halloween costume he's wearing like a little fake uh-huh. elephant trunk nose, right? And all dressed in gray. So yeah. So she doesn't and, want him to wear his fox mask or wolf mask. She gives him an elephant mask because I guess mm-hmm. he promised Andy he was gonna go as an elephant. So but then he's like freaked out by that and he's like, Well, tell me there's something underneath that, and it's like a Chinese box situation or like a Russian doll situation where there's you know there's still more stuff underneath, and that's not really what you are. And they kind of reassure him that that's the case. But then, like, he's there with Anne, too, wearing this weird outfit and, like, talking to himself. It's the it's so bizarre. Yeah, he's got, like, eyebrows drawn on, like, a Vincent Price mustache and wearing, like, a suit. Almost like he's a magician. And uh-huh. then she's there, like, as, like, the magician's assistant all mm-hmm. dressed up and, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And just, it's, yeah, it's very strange. And, of course, and when he first comes in, one of the little blue dudes comes over and is like, oh, they don't talk. But he's basically like, hey, man, no cameras here, dude. Sorry. And so, like, he has to hand over his camera and they put it on the shelf. And then they, like, take his hat and they go in. And then they start dancing. They're just having a good old time. Dancing, dancing, dancing. And then, like, he and Anne show up in their other disguise. And then also, the scene we get in this is also some of the stuff that we got in his hypnotherapy session when he's talking about like you're the dream and i am the dreamer and so not only like was he remembering stuff that had happened it's like he also was like picking up stuff that was going to happen it's very yeah unless this is this unless like the same thing happens over and over or something yeah yeah it's very weird but they do dance they dance a lot they dance a lot these aliens really like to boogie yeah, he doesn't kiss any of the aliens this time, I don't think. Because that's the other thing he did in, in the previous one. Is he, like, totally went down and gave one of the blue dudes, like, a big old mouthy kiss mm-hmm. before he got the rectal exam. So, yeah, yeah. It's very weird. He didn't like that. That pissed him off. That pissed him off a lot. But, yeah, anyway. So, then he wakes up, and it's daytime, and he's just sitting in the vehicle, like, in his big old truck and he's just like oh and like a big truck and like a vw bug go by they're like a wah wah because like he's kind of like off the side of the road but kind of like in the road a little bit just parked and so he's like oh and it's like it's daytime and he's just parked there so he goes home and he apparently is a new man now he's like feels great and he tells Anne that they let him know that he was chosen and that he has been in contact with them his whole life and apparently he has now passed it on to his son Yay. And then they go to a museum, just he and Anne, and they make out in the museum. <laughs> and then they're doing this weird thing where they're standing on opposite sides of the museum, like in front of paintings, and they're discussing. And he's talking about like evolutionary biology and stuff like that. And she basically goes all scully and says, like, I think they're just another face of God. And so I'm cool with that because it's God and I'm fine <laughs> with God. And so and then together they come to accept the visitors as a part of their life. And then Whitley gets super inspired because he's been having so much trouble writing that other book. He's like, I'm going to ditch that other book and I'm going to write a different book about this. And he's like just cranking <gasps> oh. out. He like nails out a whole chapter like in one day and just like, blah, 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 blah. And then later some time has passed and he's like sitting there reading through like he, what he's written by his computer. And he's trying to think of what he should call the book. And then one of the I'm not sure if it's actually an alien. It's just, we just see the head. It's uh-huh. all super glowy and it's like floating in space in front of him. And he's been like, what should I call this book? What should I call it? And then he communes 
with the alien head. And then there's bright lights and stuff like that. And they go up on the roof for a little bit, but there's nothing there. And then we go back and he's doing some more writing stuff. And then at the very end of the movie, he and Ann and Andy go up on the roof of their high rise apartment building at night. And they're all dressed in black. And they basically pose like for a music video because that's exactly (laughs) what they do. And then the helicopter that's taking the shot almost blows Ann's hat off. And so she has to hold it. And then it just pans out into the city at night and uh, it's over. But that was totally like a music video shot at the end. It was just like, uh huh. Yeah, I know there was. I don't know what they were doing, but yeah. And it's over. So weird. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's funny because this movie opens and it starts out like really intriguing. Like, they're in the woods. There's this weird thing. Like, he's kind of in denial, but the friends saw it. So they're wigged out. And like, you think, okay, this is going to be like a slow build abduction story where we learn, like, they were all abducted or whatever. And like, then it just goes off the rails. You're like, what is happening here? Yep. So no filming budget is listed, but the film only earned 1.92 million in theaters. So it was not a breakout success. No, I don't know what the budget was, but I can't. I, I, yeah. I I mean, there weren't a lot of effects in here, but I'm willing to bet that probably just the effects was more than 1.92 million. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, and like it's never really mentioned, but like we said, it's kind of assumed that Anne has a career because she like leaves and returns from work. And also, like, Whitley is the one cooking dinner. He like burns a duck at one point. Um, he's the one yeah. like because he's home all day. So that makes sense, yeah. right? Like, and apparently, you say at one point, at one point in the movie, but apparently, it's in the first time because the firemen are not happy. And apparently, he's going to get a fine because this happened before and he's been warned. Well, and they have like a thing so. in their apartment where you type in a code to say it's not an emergency, but like he can't remember the code. Yeah, he can't um, remember any codes. He can't remember yeah. the code at the cabin. He can't remember the code in his house. He's yeah. very so he doesn't press very, it in time and the fire department shows up. I wonder about that because like he's having these paranoid dreams and like everything is very like secure. Well, yeah, everywhere. he's very and like he mentions like his friends are even like, why all the security at the cabin? Like you have those motion activated lights and you have this alarm system and he's like well it's very secluded it's in the middle of nowhere which makes sense but he is he does definitely have this paranoid streak too like Mm -hmm. where he's just like very paranoid and i guess that makes sense if he's been having weird alien visitations i guess so maybe in the back of his head he's had that feeling he's just never been able to realize what it was so yeah Yeah. in real life ann streber was a school teacher although couldn't find out for how long She eventually became a writer as well and wrote several novels. She was the managing editor of Whitley's website and co-host of the Dreamland podcast. And she toured and gave talks on the subject matter of their life after this book came out and presumably movie. And Anne and Whitley Strieber are both from San Antonio, Texas. They got married in 1970 and were married up until when Anne died in 2015. She had a aneurysm in, I think, 2005, 2004, mm. 2005, somewhere in the early 2000s. And basically, like, basically should have died, but didn't. And so, like, had to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, she recovered pretty well, though. They wrote a book together about it. And they also, like, have written some other books together. And then she has her own books, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, basically, like, her life became his life and doing the circuit and that kind of stuff so yeah i mean that makes sense apparently you know they got a movie picked up and everything so i guess yeah yeah but it does seem like in this movie she definitely does have like a job or a career 
I could not find out anything about how long she was a teacher. So I don't know if, if in real life at this time she had been working or not. So I don't know. Yeah. Communion is Strieber's ninth book, and it's listed as nonfiction. It was his first nonfiction book, and mm-hmm. it spawned at least five other related books. In the book, Strieber contends that he was abducted from his cabin in upstate New York on the evening of December 26, 1985, by non-human beings, which is kind of what the film depicts. Mm-hmm. Though Communion is generally considered to be an account of an alien abduction, Strieber draws no conclusions about the identities of the alleged abductors. He refers to the beings as visitors, which is the name he deliberately chose to be as neutral as possible because he wants to entertain the possibility that they're not, in fact, extraterrestrials. Yeah. And we never actually see like in the group session, they keep talking about ships and stuff. Mm -hmm. He never talks about that. He never sees that. The most the closest we get to that is like. The light seems to be in the sky, except for the one that's on the ground that he walks into. And then when they go up on the roof and are doing their little music video pose kind of thing. But we never he never talks about craft. Strangely, though, in the current version, like if you were to go buy a copy of Communion Now, the current cover, it's one of those photographs that like people will hold up like at an Air Force or something like that. Like, here's a picture that so and so took outside of their house. And where it's like you see some telephone wires and it's got a UFO in the sky mm-hmm. and so they're kind of going that route at least as far as the publisher yeah although authors don't usually unless he's yeah. publishing them himself authors don't really yeah. get to pick their covers yeah. don't so, really have say over cover or, or titles half the time by the way just yeah. in case you're curious yeah because we will talk about the original cover in just a little bit yeah so. and despite being credited as the film's writer streber has openly stated his dissatisfaction with the film claiming that it utilized scenes of improvised dialogue and included themes that weren't present in the book so didn't really stick to his story he also claims the film presents a non-factual portrayal of him which i can see why he would say so that's that. kind of like what you were talking about yeah yeah so i don't know because I he's totally kind of a know. jerk in there too so i can see why maybe yeah like, which i mean he me. might be i don't know yeah i don't know either I yeah so know. we don't know. and also he claims the film presents a non-factual portrayal of him is that just because he came off looking like a douche and he really is a douche and doesn't want to be known as a douche? I don't know. Entirely so, possible. I don't know who the guy is. I also have not read any of his communion transformation, any of that series of his nonfiction books. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it differs. I'm guessing the transformation part is the part at the end of the movie where he decides he's going to write the communion book. Because what I what I I believe I know, I don't know for sure, because I haven't read them, but I worked in bookstores when the paperbacks came out and they were all over the place. And it was like, super popular. anyway, it's not written as a, as a like, let me tell you a story. It's kind of written in a very, almost like it is a novel, as opposed to being like, a, this is what happened to me kind of thing. So uh-huh. it's kind of got that framing as it's a novel, even though it's nonfiction, which would then be weird. If at the end of the novel, you talk about how you're going to write the novel or the nonfiction book. So I think that part probably is the part from transformation, because then he talk, maybe talks about how he when he decided to write the book, communion sort of thing. Maybe, so, but, yeah. again, I, but again, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. As we mentioned, the cover of the original book and the original paperback that came out when I was working in bookstores is just a picture of the alienoid head. 
And if you type in communion, the book, you will see a picture of that original cover. Usually the movie poster kind of has a version of that, but it's also got like the, like New York skyline and that kind of stuff. And like the, the alien has kind of like superimposed and kind of like faded out kind of thing. I didn't mention this in our Jose chunks from outer space episode, but the book cover of from outer space is a parody of the communion cover because mm-hmm. his book, it's the alien head, but he's smoking a cigarette, but it is basically that book. So yeah. I didn't mention it because I felt like I had been going on and on and on about all the constant references he was making to other stuff too much. And I tried to pull back. Yeah. So. I mean, I think it's a cool Easter egg. So I'm glad to know that. I didn't know that. I think it's neat. Yeah. Also, I knew we were going to be watching this and I know you hadn't read it or knew much about it. And so it's one of those things where like when I mention something that's like this, I feel weird because I think you may not know about it. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, that's fine. Yeah. You can say things so, I don't know about. And then yeah. I can be like, oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I did not know but that. But no, it is a cool Easter egg. But like by that, honestly, by that, because that happens at the very end, right? Because Scully's reading it. That's when we see uh-huh. it, right? It's the very end. By that point, we are basically buried in overflowing Easter baskets full of Easter eggs. And like, I just, I'm done. I don't want to see an Easter egg ever yeah. again. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just how those um, things go. There's an episode of Sight called Dual Spires, and it is like a homage to Twin Peaks and literally everything in that episode is a reference to Twin Peaks every single thing and there are there are people on the internet who have done like shot by shot comparisons of like where they they did the exact shot from the show and so I mean I think sometimes episodes like TV shows do that and like some people are really into it they're like look at all these Twin Peaks references and some people are like it's too much so you know I mean it's kind of well I mean something else I didn't mention in the Jose Chung from Outer Space episode your favorite scene is basically a Twin Peaks reference yeah exactly you know about pie because David Duchovny was in Twin Peaks yeah and there's very pie in Twin yeah. But Which I've a- never seen Twin Peaks, but I've seen enough stuff about <laughs> Twin Peaks. That's not yeah. true. I've seen a couple episodes of Twin Peaks, but like I've seen enough stuff about it that I know all those things. And like yeah. in the psych one, they do like Lassiter doing the exact same, like, you know, this is a great cup of whatever, you know, great and like coffee. It's, yeah. he's, it's cider in that episode. But um, yeah, because it's a cinnamon yeah. festival. But like everything about it is just like <laughs> so sometimes I think TV shows sometimes do that. They do like a, a- we'll see. And that's the yeah. thing. I know that was the that was the entire point of that episode. Yes, exactly. That was but, what they were doing as they were doing as an we alien mentioned, abduction. He does that in every episode, he whether does. that's the point or not, and it just wears on you. And so, well, it wears like, on you. It doesn't. It wears wear on everybody. me. It, well, it wears on it's, me. It's so, a mileage may vary situation where some people honestly, are like very excited by it, and some people are maybe like it's too much. You know? Yeah, but honestly, the entire conceit of the whole Jose Chunk from outer space is basically a spoof of Streber and communion because like Chung has that realization that he can develop a new genre of nonfiction science fiction. And to me, that is way more interesting a way to do things than to just, and I get like, like I say, I think if, if every episode he had done before this hadn't have done the same thing, I think that Jose Chung would have been like, Oh man, like there he's really just hitting all the beats. Awesome. But because he does that everywhere else too, it like it, it takes away from it being so cool in that episode. And so I think the subtle part is actually better with, I mean, it's actually a spoof of Whitley Strieber, honestly. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, also I think, I mean, there's obviously a lot of Barney and Betty Hill in there and there's a lot of other yeah. stuff going on. Well, too. no, that's what I mean. He hits every beat. 
like mm-hmm. as yeah. far as the story goes, he's he's pulling. Her. Well, there's close encounters. There's everything, right? The, the, the mashed potatoes. Yeah. Got, we got everything, and and actually the opening scene. I realized when we rewatch Close Encounters, the opening scene that I was saying is the Star Destroyer actually does double duty because there is a very similar scene in Close Encounters mm-hmm. with that and the noise and kind of stuff. So it like does double duty of that. Mm-hmm. So, and I had forgotten about that in Close Encounters. I just automatically went with the Star Destroyer because that was the more reference, which I think the mm-hmm. Close Encounter one actually might be, although those came out the same time. So I don't know. I mean, Lucas and Spielberg knew each other and same with Coppola. They're all like intertwined. And so I don't know if that's coincidence that we have the Star Destroyer thing and then a very similar thing in Close Encounters in the very beginning. But I don't know, but it does double duty. So that's kind of nice. And I keep saying duty and I keep wanting to laugh. <laughs> Because I'm four anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I feel like this movie, the entire, obviously, his character arc is accepting that these beings have always abducted him and things like that. They have always abducted him and they're going to abduct his son and they probably abducted his father. And like, it's his journey of self acceptance. But I feel like the movie really fails because, like, we don't really get any motivation from the aliens. Not that we need the aliens to have motivation, but I mean, we don't get any theories on why they're doing this and i feel like if they had spent a little more time with maybe that support group and we had heard maybe more stories about what kind of experiments they're doing or other people's experiences maybe we would have gotten a better idea of why they stick to a family and they do these intergenerational tests or what's going on there i don't know i just felt that was really lacking like i have a lot of questions about i what's get going the on. feeling that that is not part of at least the first book if not the first couple books probably and that's not. why there's like maybe like five more books about this whole thing <laughs> yeah so i yeah I, I get that i mean a lot of time i mean aside i mean do we really ever get aside from like oh they're like doing human te- no, i mean we don't really a lot of times we don't we but don't but it just feels weird that they've locked on to certain people and their families and that's just something they do and I feel like part of his journey of acceptance should be trying to figure out at least some reason why maybe they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's not part of his his journey at all. So I don't know. Or at least so far. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least as far as we know at the end of this movie. But I just that was what was really lacking to me as I kind of I mean, then and then there's just obviously the weirdness. There's just so much weirdness. I'm like, what the fuck? But um, that's yeah. And apparently, I mean, taking him at his word of like there was a lot of improv and that kind of stuff. It's very hard for me to watch this. Like I said, there's not a lot of great acting in this movie. Not a lot at all. I'm not even sure that Christopher Walken does a lot of great acting. I think Christopher Walken is just being Christopher Walken. It's really hard to not just watch this and be like, it's Christopher Walken and not be thinking that it's Whitley Strieber. I don't know. You know, like, is is the kookiness stuff that Walken brought in I don't think Christopher Walken as a human being is anywhere near as kooky as the character he's portrays no, probably ever uh, that's that's just that's what he does but I don't know if that's him being an it's just very and also you know this is like what 30 years of Christopher Walken on top of me seeing this I haven't seen this until now I never watched it when it came out. So I knew about it and I'd seen clips of it and stuff like that, but I never watched it. So also I've got a lot of Christopher Walken that I'm layering on top of this. And so I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very like, okay, that happened. That was a movie. We watched it. It exists. 
Yeah. It, here's the thing. I, I would, I would, I don't know. I feel, I don't want to use the word recommend, but I would maybe say people check it out. It's, it's not groany bad. It's, it's, it's just watchable. Bizarre. It goes fast. It's just bizarre. Yeah. And I think maybe just sometimes you got to see the bizarre for yourself. So <laughs> it's, it's very hard to describe. It's just very weird. Yeah. I mean, going back to the whole alien intent kind of thing. I mean, I, we never really talked about it. I had a lot of those same questions about close encounters of the third kind, like why? And then like, suddenly they're just like dropping plane. I think I, maybe I mentioned like, why are you suddenly dropping? Yeah, planes I think off you did. Mexico? Why is the ship suddenly in the desert? I mean, I know we're, they're bad at putting stuff back where it belongs, but then like, okay, now we're going to bring people back and then, Oh, we're going to take this dude. Like, why, what are you doing? I don't understand. Yeah, what no, I, I agree. And it's so. not that we need it. It's just, I think in this movie, it felt lacking because like there was that opportunity for him to maybe talk to other people and explore that a little more. And it just, because he was so in denial, he, you know, it just doesn't happen, which again, that's, that's his character arc. And so he's got to get there on his yeah. own, I guess, but it just felt weird. Like if stuff like that was happening to me, I'd be like, Oh, it's happening to you too. Okay. Yeah. Tell me everything. Well, he like, does you know. get that thing where he accepts that they're never going to let him see what's really behind all the layers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then when he comes back, he like, we never get that in the scene, but when he comes back, he's like, I've been chosen. And like for what, right? That yeah. would be part of like the like why that would give that would give you some understanding of what the point was for what were you chosen? Yeah. I do think he goes into that in later books. Okay, so, but Possibly. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump on that train and find out. So no, me neither. I got others to three. I have a whole list. So. <laughs> Sorry, don't yeah. have time. <laughs> so I guess as I guess as a close, it was kind of an aside, but I guess it's the last thing we're talking about. Um, it's a little Christopher Walken information here. So in 1963, he met Georgianne Thawne during a tour of West Side Story because he was a theater dude before he started doing movies. And then they married in January 1969. And they have been married for 53 years as of this recording. They are still married. Yay. So that's always nice. I mean, and Whitley Strieber, too. I'll be talking about Whitley and Strieber. They married in 1970 and they were married all the way up until her death. In 2015 yeah. so we've got two very like long-term relationships here nice. we don't know how smooth or whatever any of them really were but yeah and then from a 2004 interview which will be linked in the show notes um he's talking about just like doing stuff and he's like i don't have kids i don't have hobbies i don't particularly like to travel and if you're an actor you have to travel anyway and he kind of uses like the i don't have kids i don't have hobbies as a reason for why he had such a prolific career and another reason why he's probably had such a prolific career is because he is kind of known that he will basically take any role you offer him whether it's good or bad (laughs) he actually says quote like i'm not that discerning to tell you the truth i like to work i don't expect everything to be perfect which i guess is a good attitude to have like i just i like doing what i'm doing and if it turns out great cool and if it doesn't well it doesn't Uh, you know what it's funny because like i've I've always kind of liked christopher walken and like obviously i grew up with him on snl and in a bunch of movies but it's just funny because like you hear that you're like wow that's pretty sweet you're married you're not like super worried you don't have kids you don't you're not worried about having hobbies you're just doing your job and you enjoy it that's cool yeah and then he and his wife do have a cat named bowtie oh and their previous cat was named flapjack so I don't know if they've only had two. I mean, cats do live 
a decent they could have just only had the two cats i don't know so i'm probably stretching things here a little bit but both flapjacks and at least one bow tie are notably present in this movie so true yeah i'm probably stretching that but so be it so also i mean i just love a celebrity who's like i've got cats not kids because i feel like that's so me Although too. honestly, me like we too. got cats because we didn't want to have kids because like we also did the thing like, well, I don't want to, you know, be tied down and what uh-huh. happened. No, I want to be able to but travel. Cats and go are where almost I want. worse. No, they worse, are almost worse. worse. <laughs> I mean, uh, Nick and I have been talking about this a lot because I am planning a big move closer to my family and also like just the, the logistics of trying to travel either with cats or finding a cat sitter or like, a, you know, cat sitter who can medicate your cats or like boarding your cats, just stuff like that. Like it's so hard. It's such mm-hmm. a challenge. Yeah. It's like you think, oh, I'm going to get cats and I'll still be a free single entity. Well, or, you know, for you and Aaron, like a free couple who can just do what you want and go where you want. No yeah, ties. No. Well, and no- bo- oh, and both you and I are the type of, I don't want to say owners, right? We're the kind, we're the kind of parents who are not going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to be gone. So-and-so is going to watch my dog or cat or i'm gonna just put them in like the kennel like we're not like that like like, well and i worked as a a professional cat sitter and i there are cat sitters that i have trusted it's not that i don't trust cat sitters well no but you wouldn't be like just wherever right is what i'm saying yeah no like whatever or well there are people who just like leave kibble out for their cats and leave they're like okay you're good for four days i couldn't do that but also one of my cats takes medication and like i don't because of my current situation, I haven't had a cat sitter in years. And so there's no one who's familiar with that cat. He hides and he needs to eat. And like Billy will eat all his food if he's hiding when the food is put out. So there's just like situations where I can't just leave him with a cat sitter who doesn't know him because like he won't eat food or get his medication for a week while I'm gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's situation. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking about this on the podcast. Anyway, don't we don't have, we can I leave mean, that part to, out. To go one step further, I'm going to get on that soapbox that I like to get on periodically and just say that like i'm not going to call people out but i think a lot of people think of pets as possessions and they're not they're actually like living creatures they have yeah my pets are my babies i'm a cat parent they're my boys yeah because you get all those people who like oh we're gonna move let's get rid of the dog like oh, no, yeah, that dude, kind of stuff. Like is that, cool. no, no, no. Like, no, sorry, that that, is... you need to consider that. I honestly, I don't understand because, like, I love my cats more than anything on this planet, so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get it. But yeah, no. If there, if there is ever an apocalypse, my cats and I are going to be eating my neighbors, and if my neighbor comes <laughs> after my cat, they are definitely going to be food because no way you ain't touching my cat. Like, yeah, my cat will be enjoying you later, so <laughs> you're going to end up in trouble. So, yeah. Anyway, that's a good note to end on, I think. Yeah, cats. This movie yeah. was super freaking yeah. weird. It's super freaking weird. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, we always appreciate it. We hope you enjoy our rambling about this very odd movie and then our cats yeah. for some reason. And now you know way more about yeah. me he trying to write figure a out how to travel with cats. Before this that came out, I tried to look and see what some of the other, I think a lot of his other books, because he, he did The Wolfen, he did The Hunger, mm-hmm. and then the books, they seem to be a, like like Satanist black magic kind of stuff sort of i could i honestly there's no links for any of them and i don't know anything about them but there is one called cat magic <laughs> so i don't know if it's like spooky black magic with cats or whatever but yeah interesting 
anyway. Got to get the cats in. Got to get the cats in. I mean, we record at Black Cat Studio. Come on. Yeah, I know. We're both we're both cat people. I'm a crazy cat mom. So. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I love my boys. You can call me a creepy cat lady. You can call me a crazy cat dad. I don't care. I will accept either gender stereotype. So, <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if the truth truth is still still out there. there. I I need need more. Cowbell. I need more cowbell. All right, cool. That last one was good. You got you got a nice cowbell on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get the giggles out a little bit. All right. Well, since I've got some fucking time, maybe I'll make a pan of brownies or something. I mean, less time than you would have had if we hadn't gone off on whatever the fuck we went off on. (laughs) It's fun. That's a good cover. I mean, I did the same thing with Chell. Like, we finished recording. We're like, okay, let's just talk about some productive stuff. We'll be done. And then we end up talking for another half hour. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's fun.